0: Well welcome to Sisterhood. We're so thankful that you have chosen to be a part of community this semester. Thank you for leaning in and being a part of a Sisterhood group whether you're in this room at another campus watching online or maybe part of a home group. We are thankful for the opportunity to gather together, to encourage one another and to grow together in Christ. And we are in week two of our series, unashamed, unshakable and unstoppable. And tonight we're going to talk about unashamed because I am a child of God. Now, shame has the ability to affect every aspect of our lives. In fact, many sociologists refer to it as the master emotion. It's something that all of us have experienced at one time or another. But for many people, it's actually a constant lifelong companion. And this isn't just true for those outside the church, but it's true for those inside the church as well. So as we step in to this message today, I just want us to pray for a moment with open hands and ask the Lord to reveal to each and every one of us if there are any areas in our lives where we are dealing with shame. For some of us, you heard me say the word shame and you immediately knew that this message was gonna be for you. But there are other people who are struggling with shame and it's so hidden that you haven't even labeled it as what it actually is. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of who you are. And God, as we step into this topic on shame, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to bring revelation to each and every one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal to my heart any area where I have hidden shame, where I am believing lies that the enemy has spoken over me way too long. Lord, may you do a work now and in the days and weeks to come, and may you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you wanna do. In Jesus' name, amen. Psychologist Dr. Jim Kress says shame is this acronym, self-hatred at my expense. S-H-A-M-E, self-hatred at my expense. Shame is always at our expense. Something has clearly affected us in a way that leads us to feel less than. And for some people, shame only rears its ugly head under certain circumstances or situations. And while it's easy to believe that shame only affects me, and here's the danger in that, if we believe that shame only affects us and it doesn't affect anybody else around us, then we leave it okay to not deal with it. All of a sudden, if I'm the only victim of my shame, then it's no big deal if I just leave it hidden in a corner. But the reality is that shame affects every relationship we're a part of if we don't deal with it. And most importantly, shame affects our relationship with the Lord when we don't deal with it. It causes us to seek love from people, substances, food. Insert your drug of choice. For some, it might be Netflix. And rather than receive the unconditional love and forgiveness that is in Christ, we turn to other things to fill a void that only God was meant to fill. Rather than believing the truth of who God says we are in him, we get trapped by our inability to forgive ourselves as we struggle to see our value because of the shame that has been placed on us. Studies have shown that nearly 50% of Americans place shame as their greatest personal struggle. Most people who suffer from depression, anxiety, or low self-esteem also carry a very heavy burden of shame. And I would imagine most people who struggle with those things, shame is actually at the root of almost all of them. For some, the emotional pain is so intense that it is easier to turn to substances, eating disorders, or self-harm to cope. And shame affects our ability to concentrate, be productive, creative, and efficient. Now for some of you that sounds a little crazy. How in the world does shame affect productivity and creativity? Let's think about it this way. If you have shame scripts running through your mind, it causes self-doubt. So when you have to make decisions, When you have to move the ball forward on something, you're questioning every decision you make. What if I make a mistake? What if I do something wrong? And we get stuck in this analysis paralysis which slows down productivity. For some of you, it will affect creativity. God is a creative God and he has created us in his image, which means he has put a measure of creativity in each and every one of you. So those of you who have said you're not creative, that's a lie. You were created in the image of God and he is a creative God. What your creativity looks like will be different because we are all uniquely made and fashioned. Creativity is not a one-size-fits-all model. But if you believe that you're not creative, then it will be difficult for you to step into any form of creativity because you feel like a failure or less than. Shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience that has us believing because we are flawed and we are all flawed. But shame has us believing because of those flaws we are unworthy of love or acceptance in some way shape or form. The Bible has its share of definitions on shame it uses more than 10 different words, 300 times. It, if we look at the word "bosh" or Boschette, this one's used the most 129 times in the Old Testament. And it means pale. It's the word that refers to the, the color coming out of your face. And we see that word used in Psalm 31.1 when it says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Another word used is Kalal. It means to make insignificant or to bring into contempt. And we see Job use this in Job 40 verse four when he says, behold, I am vile. He saw a glimpse of his humanity and thought less of himself. And the list continues with words translated reproach, scorn, dishonor, mock. We could take this whole time just to talk about the number of ways God's word refers to shame. However, what's important to note is that each and every word has an overtone of being or feeling worthless. I think we feel shame for two primary reasons. The first one being our own personal choice to sin. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short in some way, shape or form. And for some of us, we have allowed the sin that we have taken part in to consume us. And rather than bring it out into the light and admit our shortcomings and our failures to the ones we've sinned against, but more importantly to the Lord, we want to hide it and pretend like there's nothing to see here. Most of the Old Testament references to shame have to do with those who were idolaters and turned away from God. Israel was considered God's chosen people. They had experienced miracle after miracle of what God had done. If you think about it, they had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the plagues that God had sent on Pharaoh. They had received manna in the wilderness, which was nothing short of miraculous. Yet time and again, they turned away from God. And so many of us have had a similar journey. We have known the miracles of God, but we have time and again turned away from him to pursue our own wants or desires, because we wanted God on demand G O D God on demand. And when he didn't do what we demanded, we wanted to lower him to a lesser God of some form. That's not how he works. But what I love about the God that we serve and the God of the Israelites is he consistently pursued them and forgave them time and again. And they knew, even in their sin, who to go to in their time of despair. I think the second reason we feel shame is because things that have been said or done to us that have eroded our confidence. Some of you grew up in a really toxic environment. Maybe you married into one. For some, it may just be that you have experienced so much pain in your relationships that you start to think that you're the problem, that it must be you. And it makes it really hard for you to trust anybody or open up and be vulnerable. That is all shame, but I am thankful that we serve a God who has experienced the things that we have experienced, and he can empathize with our weaknesses. He endured the cross giving little thought to his own pain, humiliation, and disgrace in order to take away the shame of those who had put him there. Hebrews 12, one and two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame to sit at the right hand of God the Father. You see, when Jesus was headed to the cross, he was stripped of his earthly support. Many of his friends completely abandoned him. His reputation was mocked. His decency was exposed through nakedness and his comfort was taken away in complete and utter torture. So when we have been treated painfully, by those that were supposed to love us or support us. Know that you are not alone. And if the God of the universe would be treated that way by people who were loved, supposed to love and support him for all that he had done for them, we better expect that the same thing will happen to us because we are surrounded by imperfect people. And guess what? Sometimes we are the ones causing the pain and yet even if we are the ones causing the pain in circumstances, he went to the cross for that too. He took the shame of both. In all of that, Hebrews tells us that he set his sights on the joy that was before him. Now keep in mind, this is moments hours, days, after people had abused him, mistreated him, abandoned him. He didn't need six months of counseling to set his eyes on the joy before him. He didn't need two years of therapy to set his sights on the joy that was before him. I'm not discounting counseling. I go to counseling. I think we probably all should go to counseling. We all need a little help. The point is we don't have to be healed from our pain to set our sights on Jesus. Amen. We're going to talk about guilt versus shame for a minute. Guilt is the willful deviation from godly living. It's that uncomfortable feeling somewhere in the pit of your stomach that tells you that you've crossed a line, that you've done something wrong. But guilt is actually a good thing. In 2 Corinthians seven eleven, Paul refers to it as godly sorrow. And this godly sorrow is actually what convicts us of sin. It tells us that we've taken specific action at a specific time against what God wanted us to do. And guilt properly dealt with strengthens our relationship with the Lord first John 1 9 it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness the problem is shame does not offer that same path to freedom shame isn't about a specific action taken for which we seek forgiveness shame says because I did something bad I am bad it's not like I just made a momentary lapse in judgment in fact A few days ago, I was having a conversation with a friend. It started out great, and then partway through the conversation, I shared something I should not have shared. And I realized it right after I said it, and I said, you know what, I just said too much, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And I got home later that afternoon, and I was processing the conversation once again. And then I processed it with the Lord. And I said, Lord, will you please forgive me? for stepping out of bounds in that situation? And will you please fix anything that needs to be fixed in that situation? And then I walked away in freedom. Shame would have said, you are never gonna get your tongue under control. How many times have we talked about this? Why can't you figure this out? You are always screwing this up. You probably just shouldn't talk to people. And that's what shame would have told me. But guilt dealt with properly leads to repentance. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame replies yes, which means you are a bad person and you need to hide. And this is the same lie that's been happening since the beginning of time. Let's go back to the garden for a moment. Genesis chapter 2 says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Then they believe a lie that is told to them by the serpent. Which was a slight distortion of God's truth. And then in Genesis 3 all of a sudden they are naked and ashamed of what they did. That one moment in time. Turned a complete distortion for how they saw themselves. This moment in time and choice to sin led them to disconnect from God. They had the opportunity at this point in time when God called to them to say, Here I am. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But instead their response was to hide. As if God could not see them. Hello let me hide under a bush and maybe he just won't notice I'm here. He is kind of the God of the universe and the creator of all things, but whatever. And that's what we do now. We sin and rather than just being honest, we try to hide. We hide from people. It's very hard for us to be open and vulnerable about the choices we've made. And oftentimes we hide from God. And sometimes the reason that we hide from God is because we wanna do it again. And so if we haven't yet repented, then we can get away with it a few more times. There's also the story of David. David was considered a man after God's own heart. He was one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history. He's in the lineage of the Messiah. He was a passionate leader, fighter, poet, musician. David was like the dream catch. He was everything all rolled up into one. I'm I'm not even sure he really existed to have had all of these incredible qualities. Just kidding. We know he was. Um, I'm I'm not gonna argue with scripture. But David, being all of these amazing things, sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, and he decides in a moment of lust and temptation that he has to have her. And so he calls this married woman over to him and he has relations with her. And then he gets a message from her days later that she is with child and it's his. And rather than apologize, go to the Lord, repent, he tries to hide it further and he has her husband killed on the battlefield so nobody will know of his indiscretion. And then he goes and marries Bathsheba. Now I have to think that in this moment, He's he's committed adultery, and he's killed a man, and nobody's the wiser. In David's mind, he's probably thinking, sweet, I got a hot wife, I got a new baby on the way, nobody knows anything, all is good to go. Until Nathan the prophet shows up, and God had revealed to Nathan what David had done. And he goes to David, and then David repents. David committed quite a list of sins in his desire for another man's wife and then killing a man. And I think we can easily fall into the trap that our sin has gone on too long. I mean, sure, it's fine for you. You just committed this one little sin in a conversation a couple days ago, but you don't understand how long I've been living in my sin. We serve a God who pursues us. He is pursuing you. He pursued Adam and Eve, he pursued David, and he's pursuing your heart because he wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. For some of us, we find ourselves dealing with shame, not because of something we've done, but because of something that's been done to us or something that's happened to us. If you look at the woman of the issue of blood, in the New Testament, at that point in time, when a woman was bleeding, she had to be outside of the community. It, believed, it was believed that she was unclean and so she could have no physical touch with anyone. And so this woman had been now an outcast for 12 years with no physical touch. And she gets word that the Messiah is coming and that he's healing people. And she steps out of her comfort zone She knows she's not welcome in public places, and yet she goes after Jesus in hopes that he would heal her. And she touches just the hem of his robe. I have to imagine part of the reason she did that is because she really didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be seen because she was an outcast, because she wasn't supposed to be there. She wasn't allowed to be there. And Jesus doesn't let her get away with it. And he says, who touched me? And in a moment where I'm sure she was a little worried about what he might say to her in that moment, he spoke grace, truth and told her to go enjoy. Some of us are experiencing shame, not because of anything you've done, but you've believed lies that have been spoken over you for far too long. And Jesus is saying, I'm a safe place. And you can come here and trust me. All right, we're going to fly through this quickly. How do we break the power of shame in our lives? I have five things. The first one is salvation. When we recognize and embrace the work of Jesus on the cross and that it was to restore us to wholeness. That is the first and most important step in working through our shame. If you have not done that yet, I invite you to do so. Talk to a leader, reach out to somebody. If you're watching online, email us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. The second one is healthy community. Shame likes darkness. It wants to hide. So find a safe place to be vulnerable. When you have been really badly wounded, this is very difficult to do. And I am in no way asking you to put everything out there all at once for the whole world to see. But I am asking that you would take small steps towards being vulnerable with a safe person. It might have to be in a counseling setting, but find somebody who is safe and start to open up. Ask the Lord to show you who that person might be in your life. Three, accept his grace. When your heart is telling you you've done something bad, remember that guilt is okay. Guilt draws us closer to the Lord, and it leads to repentance. But when it tells you that you are something bad or worthless, unlovable or unforgivable, bring your heart back into line. And that leads me to number four, which is memorizing his word. How do we bring our heart back into line? We know what God says about us. We understand his word and his promises. And we make that word our shield and defender against the enemy. If there's a particular shame script that you're dealing with, Google what God's word says about that and write it on note cards. Make it visible. Keep it in front of you. Over and over and over again, this may not be a fast process, especially if you have been believing lies for many years. Do not expect that overnight, all of a sudden, the shame is going to be completely lifted. It took time to get to this point. It will take intentional action steps to move beyond it. And the fourth one is embrace humility. Remember, pride can be a partner with fear in keeping our shame alive. Because the enemy will tell us that if you're honest and vulnerable, you will be rejected. But when we humble ourselves, let's ask the Lord to trust who we can be vulnerable with and see him open doors. And if you were writing this down, you may have seen that those five things also spell shame. S-H-A-M-E, salvation, healthy community, accept his grace, memorize his word and embrace humility. Let's flip the script on what the enemy has done for so many of us for far too long and let's step into the promises that God has for us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love for each and every one of us, for the gift of your mercy and your grace for all that you did on the cross. And I pray, Lord, that women will flip the script, each and every one of us, God, on what we've believed for far too long. And that, Lord, we would embrace the work of the cross that you've done and that we would walk in humility with expectation into community, knowing that you are going to heal and restore. In Jesus' name, amen.